Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. We've been talking about Jesus, our example, and we're going through the book of Mark. When I am here on Wednesday evening, we're looking at the fact that he is our example. We're to follow him. We learned last week, that, or two weeks ago, that, that Jesus was constantly criticized. And we need to understand that. Look at the first six verses of of chapter 3. That's what we looked at last time we were together. The Bible says he entered again into the synagogue. That is the assembly place for the Jewish believers. Uh, And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Isn't that amazing? That just, I I read that and I've read that over and over. It just amazes me. They came into the house of God to find fault with the God of the house. They came in there looking for uh, something they could find, they could pick apart with Jesus. And they thought, oh, we've watched as his disciples didn't obey the Sabbath And so let's watch and see if he does something else so that we can accuse him. I said last week or two weeks ago that that we need to understand that people are constantly watching us. As Christians, as representatives of Jesus Christ, people are constantly watching us. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to not run from that. We need to be willing to be the example of the believer. The Bible tells us in in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 that we're to be an example of the believer in what we say, in what we do, in how we love, how we live. All of that, we're to be an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, And here we have Jesus. We have Jesus walking into this place of worship knowing, because he knew everything, knowing there were going to be people who were watching him, knowing they were critical of him. The Bible says they were looking for what he would do wrong. And he saith, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. So what did he do? The Bible says, and he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. That is, he didn't say, okay, stay there and let's do this secretly. He said, come up here. Let's just make it so that everyone sees what we're going to do. The sees, everybody will watch this good work that I'm about to do. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. This question put them on the spot. Because when he was asking this question, what he was saying is this. He was, he, was, he was confronting one of their traditional laws. And that was this. They said that if you walked by a man that was in need and you didn't meet that man's need, that you were responsible for his need and that, that which you did not do, you did not do the good thing, therefore you did the bad thing. 
If you saw a starving man and you did not feed the starving man, then doing, not doing anything for him made you responsible for his starvation. If you saw somebody without clothing and you walked by that person without clothing then, and did nothing for that person, then you were responsible for that man's nakedness. So it was, it was good not to do bad. So he confronts that. He, they're looking to see if he's going to do a good work on the Sabbath. And he said, hey, on the Sabbath, is it better to do good? Because if I do nothing to heal this man, then according to your law, I'm bad. So is it better for me to do good or to do, to, to, to do, to do bad? And they are therefore stumped. So they do not answer because one way or the other, they're going to be the one that's at fault. And so he said unto them, is it good, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or days or evil, to save life or to kill? But they would not, but they held their peace. And look at verse 5. It says, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians. These were people that would normally be their adversaries because these were people, the Pharisees just despised Roman law and Jewish people who were trying to follow Roman law. The Herodians said, hey, Herod is in subjection to Rome. We need to be in subjection to Herod and therefore be in subjection to Rome. So these two were total adversaries one to another, but for this reason, to, to, to fight against Jesus, they, they took counsel together with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Father, I pray as we're looking at this subject tonight of how you uh, handled criticism, Father, we might learn from your example and we might live the same way. And Father, I pray you'll help us to take these truths and help, them to, uh, help us to apply them to our lives. And Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I noticed today that Ron DeSantos uh, announced to, uh, for the presidency of the United States. Some people are excited about that. Some people are not so excited about it. Donald Trump isn't so excited about it. Uh, there are other people that aren't excited about it. Uh, this coming presidential season, there's going to be all sorts of people who are going to run for office. And, and I really don't care what your particular political uh, persuasion is. What we will hear over and over again is why doesn't somebody decent run for office? Uh, we'll hear criticism of every political candidate out there. We will hear uh, criticism of, of people who are running for, for Senate, people who are running for president. We're going to hear about them. And this question will be answered, asked, why is it that we always have to choose between the, the better of two evils? Now, the answer to that question is, is, is this. I, I, I thought this today as I was reading this. I thought if Jesus ran for president of the United States, he would never make it. He just wouldn't. 
You say, why? Because I want you to understand, here's Jesus. He's presenting himself as the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus has never sinned one time in his life, never done anything but good. He, he goes into the temple or to the synagogue. He heals a man, and all they can do is find fault with him. I want you to know it's so easy for us to find fault. By the way, when it comes to voting for the president or any other candidate, you always have to choose between the lesser of two evils because that's all you have the choice of anywhere in the world. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says every one of us, because of our sin, deserve to be separated from God forever in hell. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ so he could come to this earth and die and pay the penalty of our sins. All of us are sinners. He died to pay the penalty of our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, and then he went back to heaven. Now, the way I get saved is by admitting that I'm a sinner and saying, yes, I deserve to go to hell, and I know, Jesus, you died for me, and you were buried, and you rose from the dead for me, and I want to receive what you did for me. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way I can get to heaven is by putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. And if that's true, then you're never going to be able to vote for a perfect person. You're only going to be able to vote for somebody who sinned. Now, maybe a saved sinner or maybe a lost sinner, but you're going to have to vote for somebody who sinned, an imperfect human being. Being perfect, if, if we had a perfect person, they would not elude criticism, and no matter what you do for the Lord, you will find that people are going to critique you. They're going to criticize you. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are, you will find criticism. Jesus was criticized over and over and over again. So we want to ask a couple of questions this evening. The first one is this, what does the Bible teach about a critical spirit? Where does a critical spirit come from? We talked about this a, a little bit last week, got several good answers. I wonder if you, if you thought about this and if you, if you have come up with anything else. I've got a couple answers myself in just a few minutes. We're going to look at some scriptures. But where does a critical spirit come from? Anybody want to maybe even say what we talked about two weeks ago? Anyone? Yes, go ahead. Did you say Pride? Pride, we get a critical spirit, we get lifted up, and we can point out everybody else's fault. We see, uh, it's so easy to see what everybody else has done wrong. It's so easy uh, to, to overlook ours. In fact, sometimes I believe we criticize others in order to cover up ourselves. Okay, good. Take a couple more before. Yes. Okay, she said, uh, if I heard this right, uh, there's a demonic spirit, that, a, a critical demonic spirit that pushes that. Is that what you said? Okay, I saw a nodded head, yes. So yeah, I believe, I really believe there is a spirit of criticism, and I think it's really uh, obvious in our culture that there is, there is a spiritual warfare causing 
everyone to be critical of everyone else. It's amazing. It doesn't matter whether it's politics, whether it's, whether it's Christianity. It doesn't matter what it is. There's a critical spirit uh, in, our, in our culture today. Okay, anybody else? One more. Yes, I'll take two more. Go ahead. Jealousy. I get, I'm jealous of somebody else getting recognition, and so I'm critical of them. I could have sung that better than they could. Uh, I could have said that a whole lot better than them. I could, do, I could have, why didn't I get lifted up? Go ahead. Insecurity, Insecurity which, would, which would come from jealousy. So the, the several things. We look at people and we think, and, and, and again, it just amazes me uh, that people will just find fault. It's so easy to find fault. And I find that true with myself. It's, it's easier for me to find fault in somebody else than to find that which is good. The Bible tells us several things about, 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 um, about where criticism comes from. And the first one was mentioned. Terry said that in Proverbs chapter 3, 13 and verse 10. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention but with a well-advised is wisdom. So it's a result of pride. Scripture says very simply, I, I get critical of other people when I, I get contentious with other people when I'm lifted up with pride. In your notes, you'll read 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's read that. I'm going to read it uh, to you. Follow along with me. It says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So if we were to take that and put that in our cultural terms, we would say, let as many employees who are under the yoke of their employers count their employers worthy of respect, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. If I don't show respect to those who are in authority over me, my employer, then it causes the name of God to be blasphemed. And they that have believing matters, masters, what if I have a, a master or a, an employer that is a Christian? Let them not despise them because they're brethren. Don't get upset. Why, why, why is this guy telling me what to do? We're Christians. We're on the same level. Don't, don't despise them because their brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. Be a better servant. Be a better employee. These things teach and exhort. Teach these things. And Paul is telling Timothy, who is the pastor of the church at Ephesus, he's saying, listen, you need to teach these things to those people that are in your congregation, that they need to be faithful servants. They need to obey their masters. Don't be fighting against their employers. Then he says, if any man teach otherwise, now listen to this. If, if you don't teach this, if you don't teach this idea of submission to your employer, to your, to your owner in this case, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, listen to what he says, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, 
perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. This is what he says about the person who says, I'm not listening to my boss, and I'm criticizing my boss, and I'm criticizing those that are in authority over He says, look, this is you. You're proud. You know nothing. You're doting about questions and strife of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. God's not saying a whole lot of nice things about you if this is you. He says, supposing that gain is godliness, and this is what his advice is to, to Timothy, from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that's not some me saying that. That's the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God saying, look, Timothy, you teach this to the members of your church. So, uh, so, so these people become critical. They become condemning of others. And, and the, the res, it's the result of, he says, self-will and rebellion. I become critical when I think I know it all. I've got it together. I know, and I'm not listening to anybody else. I've got it all together. This is the one who will not submit to authority. And, and, and again, this is, this is Paul laying it out for a young pastor to make sure he teaches this to his congregation. Then in James, the Bible says this. James says, but if you have in, in, under C in your notes... He says, if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, if you're envying somebody else and you're, you're angry with somebody and there's strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Listen to what he says. If you have this heart of, of, of despising others and being critical of others, he says, this wisdom you need to understand doesn't descend from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. From where en- for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Wow. If I am the one who is, who is critical of others, I'm living with this critical spirit. He says, he says it's earthly. The word earthly, same as worldly. You, thought, you, want to, you want to know what a worldly Christian is? Here he describes it. The person who is constantly critical of other people. He's sensual. He's fleshly. He's thinking about himself. And look at this one. Devilish. Demonic. How, oftentimes we think of demonic control as as something we've seen in the movies, uh, some terrible demon controls, and, you, and you know, people are growing fangs and hairs coming out of there, and that's demonic control. No, the idea is this. If you have a critical spirit towards some brother or sister in Christ, and that's just where you are, you need to understand that's not from above. That's demonic. That's from your flesh. That's, that's of the world. That's how the world is. And we live in a time of constant criticalness where we are constantly looking and, and hearing people criticize other people. Don't get wrapped up in that. 
In John chapter 1, again in your notes, it says, if we say that we have no sin, then we lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What are we supposed to do? If we confess our sin, if we say, yes, that was sin, yes, God, I agree that what you say is wrong is wrong, and I'm not defending my sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we get cleansing. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, critical spirit comes from a, a refusal to admit one's own sin. I will, I, no, I didn't do anything wrong. No, it's not my fault. No, it's, it, it, and again, then I become critical of others. So Jesus knows all of that, and that's what we covered a couple weeks ago. But then he goes on. I want you to see what happens next. I want you to see how Jesus responds to the criticism. This has all taken place. He has, this is, this is uh, the, the man with the withered hand has been healed. They've been, they came in looking to find something wrong. Now they're going to accuse him, and they start accusing him. The Bible says in verse 5, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, listen to this, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. First of all, I want you to see this. Criticism makes God angry. Does God get angry? Yeah, it says, Jesus looks at this and says, he got angry. He got angry at their criticism, and he got angry because, of, because he was grieved because of the hardness of their heart. It angered him. A critical spirit, when you're being critical, when you're criticizing your brother and sister, and this goes on all the time. All you have to do is go on Facebook for like for uh, 15 seconds. I was going to say 15 minutes, but 15 seconds, and you'll find somebody criticizing somebody else, somebody ripping up somebody else. You go on social media, you turn on, listen, you can get all the news that you need for, from the entire world you can get it all in about five minutes uh, at the beginning of a news broadcast. You can get it all right there. And then for the next 25 minutes, you're going to get the gossip. You're going to get what everybody thinks about why this person and this person and this person. You're going to hear everybody rip everybody apart. You go on social media, you're going to hear all sorts of terrible things. We, we need to learn how to just block that garbage out of our minds. And focus on that which is good. The Bible tells us that he, Jesus, got angry at these people because of their critical spirits, and, the, and he was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. Look at, look at the next verse in your notes. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, And the people complained. This is an Old Testament. The people were complaining against Moses. God had delivered them from the, from the land of Egypt. God had brought them through the Red Sea. God had provided them with manna in the wilderness. God had supplied their needs, protected them, watched out for them, and yet they, they're complaining because they don't have everything they want. And the Bible says in verse, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I wonder how displeased God is with us. 
We complain because our second car broke down this week. We complain because the air conditioner didn't work. We, we complain because uh, we didn't get to eat what we wanted to eat. We complain because our wife didn't do or our husband didn't do. We complain, we complain. We live in a nation full of whiny, complaining people. And you and I as believers need not to be the whining complainers. We need to understand that God has blessed us tremendously. and God is not pleased when you complain. 4.25% of the entire population of the world live in the United States. That's you. You're part of the blessed 4.25% that get to breathe free air. You say, it seems like it's getting less free. Well, enjoy it while it lasts. You have it right now. You have the opportunity to do all sorts of things. If you get to go home tonight and sleep on a bed, thank God, because there's thousands, millions of people around the world that are not going to sleep on a bed tonight. They're going to sleep on the ground. We have so much to be thankful for. We get upset because we don't have room in our closet for all of our junk. And some people would just love to have some of the junk in your closet. Listen, I, I, I said to my wife the other day, we were driving, and I, we looked at the, the gas, and it was like $4.29 a gallon. And I said to her, I said, I, she said, man, $4.29 a gallon? I said, yeah, $4.29 a gallon is it's terrible. But I said, at least we have $4.29 to, to, to put in there. I can remember, I remember when gas was 25 cents a gallon, and I had a motorcycle, and I didn't have 25 cents to put the, the, the gas in my motorcycle. At least I had a motorcycle, though it had an empty gas can, uh, tank. I'm saying this, it's, it's better to, to, to know it's 4.29 a gallon, and at least I have it in my pocket. You know, you understand that? I, I should be thankful that I have what God has given me instead of complaining about what I don't have. We need to teach our children not to be whining and complaining about what they don't have, but be thankful for what they do have. Again, let me just finish reading this. And when the Lord, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. So what did he do? And the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. If you're thankful you don't live under the law, say amen to that. That's a, that is just an amazing story. God said, I'm tired of it, kill them. Boom, fire goes through and consumes them all. Man, God judged a, the critical spirit. God, God, in the New Testament, Jesus gets angry with it. In the Old Testament, God judges them and destroys them. In this story, this is what he does. He, he confronts it, this, this critical spirit, by doing right. And by the way, that's what you should do. Somebody gets critical of you, then, then just confront it by doing what's right. What do you mean? Uh, always do what is right and do it boldly. Just, he, he said, come up here. We're going to do the right thing, and I want everybody to see that we're doing the right thing. This is not something we're going to do in the dark. I'm going to do it boldly. Don't let, number two, this is so important, don't let the critics make you critical. 
And this was what happens. I, you know, I'm going down the road, I'm doing, I'm doing fine, and then somebody starts criticizing me. Well, when somebody starts criticizing me, what does that do? It raises up a defensiveness within me. And so when, it's up, when it raises up that defensiveness in me, what do I do? I start criticizing the other person. Well, you, th- you think I'm bad? Well, let me remind you of a couple things I saw you do. Let me tell you what you've done. Let me, let me remind you of your past. And we, we get critical of others because they're critical of us. And that's exactly where the devil wants you. Remember this. Your fight is not with flesh and blood. You must remember this. I must remember this. When, when somebody attacks me, I have to remember that my fight is not against them. Satan uses good people to discourage other good people. What do you, Satan can't use good people? Yeah. Satan can put a wrong thought about you in your brother's mind, and, and, and he thinks that's his thought. And so then he becomes critical of you. And what happens? Man, Satan says, that guy has no right to criticize you. You know the way he's living. And so now you're fighting with each other. And yet Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of this dark, the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. I got a letter sitting on my desk in my office. It was a two-page, a two-page letter written to me from a pastor who I'm helping. The pastor said, I don't know whether to quit our church or whether to, uh, or whether to fight the fight. And then he told me, he, I went through two pages, of how he and his wife have been criticized and run down and they're just trying to do right and there's this constant battle against him trying to do what is right. And he's asking me the question, what should I do? Where should I go? I I want you to understand that Satan uses good people to hurt other good people and those good people don't even understand that they're being used that way. Because when somebody, when one Christian is, is being critical of another Christian, in their mind, they're thinking, I have a right to, to, to have this critical spirit towards another Christian. And it's not true at all. Look, here's the deal. Satan wants husbands to fight wives and wives to fight husbands. Why? Because if he can cause fights of husband and wife, they're not fighting him. See, if they're united together, then they've got a, unit, uh, they got a, a united bond against him. And, and if, but if he, can get, if he can get them fighting each other, thinking, hey, she's my enemy. Man, if I could just get rid of her, man, then I would have some peace. If, I, if, he, would just, if he would just straighten up, if, he would just, if I could just get rid of him, man, I would have peace. If he can get that fight going on, then, then I've defeated them. I can go on to somebody else. Satan wants parents to fight children and children to fight parents. That's just the way it is. That's what Satan is doing. Satan wants employees to fight fight employers and employers to fight, not to write, but to fight employees. That is where he wants that battle. He wants the battle 
against those that you work with. So if you're fighting against your employer, you're not going to be able to be the witness to the other employees. And you're certainly not going to be able to be a witness to him. And if you're fighting your employees, then you're certainly not going to be able to be the witness to them that God wants you to be. Satan wants teachers to fight students and students to fight teachers. And so the battle goes on. By the way, don't we see this going on in our culture all, all the time? And Satan wants uh, civil leaders to fight citizens and citizens to fight civil leaders. And there is America in a nutshell. We have this battle going on. We have this critical spirit that's just affecting all of us. And, and, and we have to deliberately consciously say, I'm not going to be part of that. I am not going to let myself have a lack of love towards somebody who at this moment is showing a lack of love towards me because Satan is affecting their mind or their flesh is affecting their mind. Remember, James says it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. It's part of the way this world works. And it's of my flesh and it's devilish. The, 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 our three enemies, the, the, the Satan, the, the flesh, and the world, all fighting against me to make me critical of you and you critical of me. So what is, how does Jesus respond to this criticism that's going on here? The critical spirit is taking place. The Bible tells us that Jesus was angry towards this. He got angry about it. So how does he respond to it? Look at verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. Many of these people are, are criticizing him, so what does he do? He walks away from them. Man, I don't want, it, I don't want Jesus walking away from me. Now, he, if you're saved, you're saved eternally. You're never going to lose that salvation. But the truth of the matter is, you can be in a point where you're missing out on the blessings of God. The Bible says, but Jesus withdrew himself and um, with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him from, and from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon and a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he had done, came unto him. I want you to see this. They, when they're critical of Jesus, they missed out. He leaves. He just takes off. And they missed out on the blessings of his miracles. The people that were in the synagogue, the people that were waiting for Messiah to come, the people that were waiting for Jesus to come, he comes and he presents himself, and what do they say? We don't want him. They criticize him. And their critical spirit causes him to get angry, and he just leaves. He leaves. And they miss out on the blessings. But the Bible says that people came from everywhere to receive God's blessings. Look at this map. Here's, here's, uh, he lists these places. He says people came all the way from the bottom of Israel, Idumea. They came from Judea, uh, halfway. They, they came all the way from Tyre. They came all the way from Zidon. They came from this side of Jordan. All of, all of them traveled to Galilee. People were coming from everywhere. But the people that were there in Galilee were missing out. 
They were right there in the presence of God. They were there with Jesus, and yet they missed it all because they had a critical spirit. Don't let that infect you. There is God right there in their presence, but they're missing it because they can't, they, their pride, their, their self-will, their rebellion won't allow them to look beyond their own selfish interests and see the God of the universe in human flesh. And yet people are traveling miles and miles and miles from all different directions to come and witness the miracles of God. Don't let that happen to you. Whatever you do tonight, say, Lord, remind me, show me when I become critical of others how it affects me in such a negative, negative way. It it just, it removes you from the blessings of God. Now, what did he do? First of all, he leaves them and so they're to their own devices now, and he's, but, but here's what he does. He continues to minister to those who would receive him. He doesn't stop serving. He doesn't stop ministering to people. He keeps going on. Look at verses 9. We're going to read all the way from verses, um, actually verse 8, all the way to verse 20. The Bible says this, or verse 9. It says, and he spake, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude lest they should throng him so there's so many people coming and this is like this is not just a one day event people are coming from all over and he, and so he's thinking what do i do he gets a small ship he has them go and get a small ship bring it to him so he can go out into the sea so that they can see him and he can minister to them offshore and he's the crowd isn't overwhelming him he says, it says in verse 10, for he had healed many. Again, these people missed out on all this. These people in the synagogue missed all this. For he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him. And as many as had plagues and unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into the mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, uh, the brother of James, and he surnamed them uh, Bonagerus, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which betrayed him, and they went into the house. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. These people are coming from everywhere. I had a guy say to me this several years ago we were in the back rooms and there were some people that were leaving the church and they had just uh, there was some we had just moved into this this is like 30 some years ago just moved in here and we were just getting used to being in these buildings and and god was blessing and people were getting saved 
week after week, but, but there were some people that were leaving. And they'd gotten disgruntled because, uh, because the church was growing so quickly, they weren't getting the attention that they used to get because there's only so much of one person that can go around. And so they were getting upset, and he came to me one day, this one gentleman came to me, and he said, he said, what do you think about when people leave the church? What's your feelings when people just are leaving? Does that make you feel bad? And I said to him, you know what I do? I feel bad for them because I think they're going to miss out on the blessings of God. I said, uh, in fact, I told him about a, a couple that had come to me and said they were leaving. And I said, I, I sat down and said, listen, I really feel bad for you because I love you and I care about you. And I, I, I think this is a, a bad situation for you and it's not going to be good. And I don't think you're going to grow in the Lord, and I'm concerned about you. These, this couple I had led to the Lord personally. I'd seen them grow. And, um, and, I, and I, I said, so, I said, however, you've been so critical in the last several months that when you leave, if you leave, it's really going to be a lot easier on me because I won't have to, I won't have to feel bad every time I see you that, knowing that you're saying these things. And I said, so I... I, I, I I love you, but I don't want you to go. And I don't want you to go, but, but I, it, 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 I, I'm talking to you because I care about you. But it'll be easier on me. You're saying it'll be easier on me if, you, if we, on you if we left than if we stayed? I said, well, frankly, you asked me, and so I'm telling you. And then I said to him, I said, I said you need to understand, I feel bad for the people that are leaving, but this is what I told him. I said, I said, um, he said, but frankly, I don't have time to focus on them. I'll try to get them to stay if they won't come back. The Bible tells, tells us if a sheep leaves the fold, you're supposed to go and try and get that back. You should care about the, if there's 90, if there's 100 sheep and 99 are in the fold, you should go after the one that, that stray and, and bring them back. But once you've tried to do that and nothing can, nothing can be done, the truth of the matter is, there are so many other people, and I told this to this gentleman. I said, there are so many other people here that want to be fed the Word of God. I've got to focus on the people that want to hear the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus did. These people that didn't want to hear it, that walked away and said, we, we don't want to, and we're critical, he walked away from them. And when he walked away from them, many followed him. And he ministered continually to them. He not only did that, he allowed them to serve with him. He said, you go get me a boat because i got to get out there in the, in the deep uh, so I can minister to people. He, he, uh, he, he was there ministering to people. It's interesting. I think verse 10 and 11, very interesting. It says, for he healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues and, and unclean spirits when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. There were demon-possessed people that wanted to praise him, and yet he said, Listen, I don't need the praise of demon-possessed. I don't need people telling me how good I am. And he, and he said, Listen, you stop. I don't want you telling anybody who I am. He resisted the praise of those that were demon-possessed. And then he took special time with those who desired it. Those who wanted truth, and, and that's true for you and me. If we want truth, he will give us truth. Then he ordained who he would 
uh, who would receive him to do the work that he was doing. Those that did follow him, he ordained them, and he sends them out, and now they're doing the work that he was doing before and that he's continuing to do. And, verse 20, his ministry continued to prosper. Look what it says in verse 20, and the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. I have found that if you're busy serving other people, if you are busy doing the work that God wants you to do, if you are busy caring for people, that you are going to have critics, but you're also going to have too much work to do to the people who want to hear the truth than to worry about all those that fly away. His ministry prospered. His ministry was blessed. And that's, that's what we need to understand here in Mark. If we're following his example, then we're just going to continue to minister. I'm not going to focus on all of the people. I, we, we have summer missionaries, and we have some this summer uh, that, are, that are working here, and we'll introduce them to you probably next Sunday night. Um, but uh, 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 some missionaries will come, and we'll teach them about how to go out door knocking and how to tell people about Jesus Christ. Almost every summer, one of them will come in and say, uh, preacher, I was out door knocking and I knocked, on a, I knocked on the door of a Jehovah Witness. And when I knocked on the door, they started, they wanted to talk. And so he said, I, we, they'll say, and again, this has happened several times, they will say, I spent like two or three hours just talking to one guy about, and, and man, he was so confused. And I thought, I think all the time. <laughs> no, he thinks you're confused. You need to understand he thinks you're confused and he was trying to convert you at the whole time that you were trying to convert him. There's no reason to waste your time on somebody who already knows it all and doesn't want to hear truth from you. I, just, I don't waste my time. I was uh, standing in a McDonald's one day and I handed somebody a track and they said, oh, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, oh, really? They said, yeah, I'd like to debate you sometime. I said, oh, well, let's not take a debate time, but here's what you do. You tell me for the next five minutes what you believe, and I'll listen to you, and then, uh, then you give me five minutes. Will you do that? Yeah, so he started telling me what he believed, and I listened to him for five minutes. I looked at my watch. I said, five minutes is up. I said, now it's my five minutes, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, here's what I want, I want to tell you. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. Well, he said, I don't believe. I said, wait a minute. I didn't interrupt you. I gave you five minutes, and I listened to what you said. So I said, I want you to listen to me for five minutes. Well, I don't believe that. I'll, well, let me tell you what you don't believe. I want you, you've got to listen to me. If you're a man of, of your word, and you say you are, then you've got to listen. And so what I'm going to tell you right now is what you don't believe, because you say you don't believe what I believe, so I want you to know what you don't believe. So I, here's, what, here's what I believe the Bible says, and I know you don't believe this, so you don't believe that the Bible's the Word of God. Well, we believe that. I said, okay, so you, you believe the Bible's the Word of God, but you don't believe that Jesus is the God of the Bible. No, I believe that Jesus is the God of the Bible. And number three, I believe that we're all sinners. Uh, I don't believe all that. Well, the Bible says we're all sinners, and that's what I, well, that's what I believe. And so now you know what you don't believe. And I said, number four, the Bible says because we're sinners, every one of us deserve to go to hell. We don't believe in hell. Yes, but we do. And I want you to know what you don't believe. And so uh, we, we, we believe that a person will die and go to hell if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we believe 
that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose from the dead. You don't believe what we believe, but that's what we believe. And we believe that the only way you can get to heaven is if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. He died for you. He was buried. He rose from the dead for you. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you can go to heaven. We don't believe in he- that you go to heaven. It's okay, but I want you to know what you don't believe. And so I took him all the way. You say, well, that wasn't very convincing. I don't have to convince him. I just wanted to give him the gospel. I wanted him to know what he didn't believe. And so that, so that the Spirit of God could take the truth that he didn't believe and convict him about it when I was gone. See, the truth of the matter is, uh, you don't have to take, waste your time on people that don't want to know truth. I gave him five minutes because God brought him into my midst. But I'm not going to spend an hour and a half or two hours on somebody who doesn't want what I have. Because I'm telling you this, there are people out there who want to have what you have. There are people that are waiting for someone. There's people that are waiting for you to invite them to church. There are people that are waiting... That, you say, oh, I try to tell people, if somebody doesn't want to hear it, then they don't want to hear it. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife and I had been door, door knocking for weeks, and nobody, nobody was responding. Just nobody responded. And so uh, I said, I, I, I remember pulling my car up to the curb, and, I, and I'm in my mind thinking, why should I do this? I've been doing this for weeks. Nobody responds. So I'm not, I'm, I'm why should I do this? And I thought, well, I'm going to do this because I'm the pastor of the church, and I got a bunch of other people that are out doing this right now, and so, I, and this is what they're doing, so I need to do it because that's what I told them to do. So I pulled the car over. You say, the preachers really think that? Yes. And so uh, I, I pulled the car over, and I walk across, we walk across the street, knocked on the first door. A guy opens the door. His, I think his name was Johnny. I said, hi. I said, uh, what's your name? He said, Johnny. I said, I said, Johnny, my name's Dave Tice. This is my wife, Anna. And um, we're just out in the neighborhood inviting people to, to come to church. We'd like to give you something really good. He said, what's this? I said, that'll tell you how you can know you're going to heaven. He said, you can know you're going to heaven? I said, yeah. Has anybody ever shared with you from the Bible how you can know you're going to heaven? He said, no. And I shared with him what the Bible says. And when I was all finished, I said, does that make sense? He said, yeah. He said, can I do that right now? I said, yeah. No, no, you better wait. And uh, no, I didn't say that. I, I, said, uh, I said, and right there, he prayed and received Christ as a Savior. I think that's so wonderful that he did that. But I want you to know that, that um, I, I, I had gone so long and Satan had told me, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Just go and do what God wants you to do. His ministry continued to prosper, and though, though people were critical of him. Now, look at what happens next. and We're, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll be done. The Bible says, and his friends heard of it. And they went out to lay hold on him. These are his friends. For they said, he's beside himself. They said, he's lost his mind. I mean, his critics didn't give up. They said, his friends said he's lost his mind. And then look at verses 22 to 30. The Bible says this. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called unto them, uh, them unto him, and he said unto them, 
in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and he be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except first he will bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemy where with uh, who... Uh, Soever they uh, they shall blaspheme, but he that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because he saith he hath an unclean spirit. Now, there's a whole lot that we could say from that passage, and maybe next time we get together, I'll I'll just back up and we'll cover that. But this is what I want you to see: that his critics never stopped; that his critics said he's possessed with demons. The deal that he's doing, what he's doing is demonic. Critics don't stop. So here's the deal. Don't listen to critics and false accusations and don't let them distract you from doing the work that God's called you to do. God has a work for you to do. Just do it. And and don't let yourself become critical of other critics. Love them, walk away from them, and pray for them. But just keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. And then keep serving those who will receive truth. Wait, uh, keep serving those who will who receive truth. Remember this, for every critic, and this is true in this story, for every critic, there are multitudes that want your ministry. So give your ministry to those who want it. And those who don't want it, just leave it to God. Leave it to God. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to do that today. The Bible says we're sinners. The only way we can get to heaven is by putting our faith and trust in Christ. If you've never done that, I encourage you, receive Christ today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. When I ask this question, do you know for sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? If you do, would you slip up your hand as a testimony to that? I know I'm going to heaven. I ask Jesus to save me. Okay, thank you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way you can know you're going to heaven is by asking Jesus to give you eternal life. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.